the most important family, family of God, amen. <clears throat> okay. Let us open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and first and foremost, we honor you as the one true living God, worthy of all blessing and glory and honor and power and might and dominion. And your name is above every name. Oh, we give you praise and we give you glory. And we also thank you. The fruit of our lips giving thanks and praise to your name. We thank you so much that though you are the high and lofty one, though you are holy and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-wise and just and righteous and pure, yet you are also gracious, long-suffering, merciful. And we thank you that you have poured so much blessing upon us in our lives and particularly and especially the gift of revealing your Son to us, saving us, and delivering us from, from our sin, the consequences of it, and even the power of it. We thank you so much. Father, we ask your blessing upon the service this morning. We ask that you be glorified in it all, Lord, that you would help to calm our minds and help us to set aside our worldly concerns. Not that there are some, there are things we need to do in the world, and there, we know there's things going on. But for right now, during this period, Lord, specifically, you help us to put our hearts and minds on you. In your ways, in your law, in your righteousness, in your holiness, in your grace, in your mercy, in, in all of you, Lord, and things eternal, things of great eternal worth, Lord. Lord, give us ears to hear. Pray we build up your people in the faith, Lord. We pray for any lost sheep, Lord, that are here or watching or listening this morning, that the seed sown according to your grace and your power, that the seed sown, Lord, would take root and you would save them and deliver them from the power of darkness and translate into the kingdom of your dear son and that they would produce that great fruit that your power brings about in our lives. Lord, be glorified now in the worship, in the preaching of your word, in the praises sung to you, and even our thoughts and our interactions with one another. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand. We're going to be opening with um, you, the pearly gates will open. I can't remember if that's in the hymnal or not. I don't believe this one is, no. So we'll just have to follow with the words on the screen.
For our scripture reading this morning, you can turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter number 16. Acts chapter 16, we will read verses 11 through 21. Beginning in verse 11, therefore loosing, therefore loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside, where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. <clears throat> and when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there, and she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before you with great joy through our Lord Jesus Christ, thanking you for this wonderful opportunity to study your word that you have given to us. And we know throughout the centuries, oftentimes your people did not have the full copy of the word of God to have in their houses to bring with them to the church services. We did not have the opportunities that we have so oftentimes as we do now. And we thank you that you have so privileged us and have given us grace so that we can have a full copy of the word in our language. And Lord, at the same time, though, we know that that makes us even more responsible, even more accountable, because to whom much is given, we know, according to your word, much is required. And so as we have this opportunity to hear your word, Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand. And may your spirit rightly apply the word to us so that we may become more like our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.
Well, this morning, as we are gathered together once again, we will, and because of God's glorious mercy and His grace and His providential and His good pleasure, He, brethren, has called us out. I got a cord going right across my feet here. He has uh, called us out, amen, once again, to gather together on this glorious Lord's Day morning. And we are blessed, and I don't say this, brethren, when I say this, I don't say this with any kind of but reverence and awe for God's word, and that I believe what I'm about to say, amen, because God's word says it to us this morning. We are blessed, as Brother Dean just prayed, we are blessed beyond measure and above measure to have God's word so readily available in our hands, amen, his holy scriptures, and as this morning, as the spirit of God bids God's words to go out amongst us. Let us consider this for just a moment together. They will indeed be to some like a fire, like a hammer that beateth upon a rock. This is what happens. This is the glorious working of God's word. To some this morning, it will be that way. To others this morning, as God bids them, the Spirit of God bids his words to go out, they will be as a sharp Double-edged sword, dividing one's soul and spirit. I believe that to be absolutely true, that this will be the case this morning. To others, brethren, as we are about to hear God's words, they will be as a mirror. They will be as a mirror, amen, displaying unto us and whoever it might be a mirror to this morning, the image of Christ causing us to reflect this morning upon our own walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the power of God's word. It does so many things. And it will be indeed a mirror this morning to some of us. And still to others. God's word will be as honey. It will be, brethren, more than their necessary food. It will be that thing that just is in the center of their hearts this morning. The word of God will indeed be medicine to their wearied souls. And hence this morning, our text, which shows forth God's holy proceedings, his holy proceedings, his series of sovereign activities in the lives of two different women, two completely different women. It is a stunning thing in our text this morning. One, brethren, will be born from above. The other in our text, the second woman, will be, as we say, the slave to Satan. We remember last Lord's Day morning, don't we, that Paul was intending to go to Asia and to preach the gospel there, but the Holy Ghost, remember, brethren, forbid him from doing that. So then he says, well, if we're not going to go to Asia, then I would much rather, let's just go ahead, if we will, endeavor to preach the word to those who are in Bithynia. And for a second time, the Spirit of God Forbid them from going there. And this morning, as we are going to get into our text, we're going to see why sovereign God did what he did. Amen? We understand from the text. We have the word of God this morning. We read the word of God. Amen? We have access to it. God himself, brethren, had several lost sheep in Philippi, who by his grace and by his mercy will hear their shepherd's voice and follow him. This ultimately is what it's all about. It's about what God is doing. 
Remember we talked about that. Paul wanted to go here. He endeavored to go here and go there, and God said, no. And by a vision, he says, I'm going to call you over here because God has lost sheep over here in Macedonia who will indeed hear the shepherd's voice and follow him. This is God's plan. It's always God's working. It's always his good work and what he's doing. And so this morning as we take up our text together there in Acts chapter 16, this is really, if you will, the thrust Can I use that word? Really, the foundation of our text this morning. God's work and his lost sheep being found. It is quite a stunning thing. Look at verses 11 and 12 there, if you would, with me this morning. The Bible says, Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Sumethria, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Now, as the Spirit of God here is leading the four missionaries, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, because we're going to see here for the first time, Luke includes himself with the terminology us and these things. All of it up to this point, he hasn't included. He's just been recording. Well, here he's going to include himself as the missionary. He's leading them to his lost sheep in Philippi. They set sail, brother, not where they wanted to go, but on their 125-mile voyage where the Spirit of God is sending them, it's from Troas to the Macedonian port of Neapolis, landing first at the island of Sumithris. Think of this, brethren, for just a moment, hopping on a ship and just sailing in those days 125 miles, possibly a little farther than that, but here we put up the sails and away we go, amen? But God is directing them, and they land first in that island, and then finally they, they get into Neapolis, and they, how should we say, they hot-foot it. That would be our terminology. They walk and finally arrive in the city of Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, where they stayed certain days, the Bible says. And as we look at this text, we realize and understand that God is setting the stage for another series of firsts in the book of Acts. Remember, we've looked at several of them. Here's two more firsts. This indeed, brethren, is the first church that God is going to establish on European soil. This is why God did it. This is why he sent them over here. This is where you're going to go. I'm going to establish a church here, the first Christian church on the soil, on European soil. And the first also is that he's going to add the first Christian to the first church on European soil. Her name is Lydia, this lost sheep that he is going to find. It's amazing when you consider his work. In fact, Paul did indeed visit Philippi three times. And it's amazing how holy writ tells us how much they loved him and how much he loved them. It's a stunning thing, brother. I want us to see this again as we're laying the foundation to understand the depth of what God is doing here in Philippi. Turn with me, if you would, for just a moment to the letter of Philippians. (laughs) That happens to be a letter, of course, that was written to the Philippian brothers. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Look again here, brother, and as we see, again, Paul's heartfelt love and inward affection and Christ-like love for them. Look at chapter 1. Look at verse number 3. Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse number 3. Again, Paul, by the inspiration of God, revealing to us this great love that he had for this first church that's established on European soil. Verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer for mine, uh, of mine for you making a request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now 
being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a very important statement that he just makes. He who began the good work, because we're going to look at that. Only God can open the heart. That's the work. That's the good work. And Paul even here references that first Christian in the first church on European soil. This is a work that God started, and he will bring it to fruition. He will bring it to, to the end. Look at verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think of you, all because I have you in my what? In my heart. There it is again. Inasmuch as both of my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. Look at, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. There it is again, brethren, the depth of the inward love, Christ-like love that Paul has for those who are in Philippi. That's how he opens the letter. Look how he closes it as God leads him to, to now tell us how much they love him. He loves them in chapter 1. Look here in chapter 4. And look what the, the inspiration is God leads him, the Spirit of God leads him to write in verses 14 and 15. Look what it says. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So again, we see here again their Christ-like love for him, supporting him. And Paul, as God used him there to establish this first church in, on European soil, if you would. So the Spirit of God clearly, as we see, has directed them to Macedonia to bring about his glorious purposes and his glorious ends. That's what this is all about. It's always about God, brother. It's always about what God is doing. <laughs> so often we, now listen, there's principles we can learn and there's things we can apply to our lives, but it's not about us. It's about what he is doing. It's always about what he is doing, always. It's about what he's doing in you, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And this is what we see in our text. The Lord God being so gracious and so kind to them. Look back there at Acts chapter 13. And we're again, we'll, last week we saw again how Paul never once renounced his Jewishness. Never once. He never asked anybody else to. He simply was stating and preaching the fact that, listen, it can't be used as a salvific thing. It can't be. It is Christ alone. And here again we see the Jewishness of Paul. He's going out on the Sabbath day. There he is again. It's an amazing thing to see. Remember we looked at that, the days of unleavened bread. It's just continually over and over again. He's there working and being used by God during these feasts. And he even, remember last week we looked, brethren, he kept a Nazarene vow. He circumcised Timothy, not for salvation, but again, brother, as a way in which to defuse those who were trying to use that against him. And then we saw the future, what they were going to try and say against him, the circumcision group. But we look here again, brother, and look at Acts chapter 16. Look at verse 13. Again, we have this in our minds. And on the Sabbath, he went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, brethren, let me just sidetrack to rabbit hole for a minute. If you think for one second the Bible does not hold women in high esteem, you are a devil and a liar. Isn't it amazing how they will attack the word of God, say, oh, it's so oppressive. Look what they're doing to women. They want women to, to submit to their husbands. They want women to submit to Christ, submit to the church. Yes, that's a glorious order of things. No, the Bible is very clear. It is very, very, very clear concerning Women. And here, 
Paul rolls on out of the city. Him and Silas are rolling on out there. They go out of the city, the Bible says here, amen. And they're meeting with these women on the Sabbath day as they go out. In fact, they go out of the city gate to the river, to the place of prayer. That's all Jewish. That's taking place. Now, do we understand what's being said? Why would Paul go outside of the city? Why would he go to the river? And why is there just women sitting there thither? Well, I'm glad you asked. Amen. Paul would normally, wouldn't he, go to the synagogue and preach? Not here. He goes outside of the city of Philippi. He goes out by the river down where they're having prayer for a very, well, it's a Jewish reason. Jewish law required that a city must have at a minimum of 10 Jewish men in order to establish a synagogue. If there are not 10 Jewish men who could read, meet, listen, brother, on a weekly basis on every Sabbath, if there wasn't 10 men who could gather together every Sabbath, they would not have a synagogue. None could be founded there. So he's telling us here that there's no synagogue because there wasn't even 10 Jewish men who would be gathering on a regular basis with them on the Sabbath day. And so therefore, the Jewish law allowed them to go down, to go outside of the city, to have a time of prayer to do these things and lo and behold the spirit of God again what does he do he directs Paul to do what he directs Paul and Timothy and he directs them to go to where these women are at and of course under Jewish law as well you would see there that those who were present would recite the Shema they would pray read the prophets and then they would discuss what they were what they were reading Remember, we've talked about this a couple times, but that was the Jewish pattern of things. That's what they did. And then Paul, as a Jewish teacher, was then given and, and used as the Spirit of God opened the door here. He opens the door for Paul, amen, to uh, speak words of wisdom, to offer some exhortation to them, and deliver a blessing, which is exactly what the Holy Ghost has him do. Now, there's a lady sitting in the midst. It is a most stunning thing to me, again, to consider as sometimes we look at Scripture and we consider the sovereign work of God. It's kind of like the other night, Wednesday evening, when I was talking about I don't think people really understand how much Satan hates God, how much he hates Christians, you, how much he hates everything that's holy. Sometimes we read these Scriptures and we don't really grasp sometimes or understand the depth of the sovereignty of God. There's several women there, but there's only one, the Bible tells us here, that even attends to what Paul is saying. Why? Is she smarter? <laughs> is she better? Is she no more than everybody else does? No, no, brother, and it all goes back to who? It goes back to God. Remember what God is doing. That's what we must consider this morning as we're looking at our text together. Now look there if you would, at verse 14, Acts 16, look at verse 14. Paul is now there. The Bible says, And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God. That's a very important thing that Luke, under the inspiration of God, puts in there. Now, one of the woman, women, as I said, listening to Paul is Lydia. Luke records it here that she's a seller of purple. From the city of Thyatira. Why would he include that? Why is Paul putting that information, or, or Luke putting that information in there? Well, Thyatira was known for, for its woolen industry, brethren. It's a stunning thing, especially for the unique dye that was made there. 
That's why Luke puts this in there. He tells us exactly where this woman is from. And it is a unique thing. In fact, this particular dye that is being spoken of here is drawn from a particular kind of shellfish. Only one. And guess where it's found? Guess where it's only found? In Thyatira. Now, the divers would go down. They would bring these fish up, if you will, these, these little shellfish things, and they would cut open their throats where a single drop, one drop of this purple dye was found. Only here, only in Thyatira. And what would happen is when they would mix that dye with the waters in Thyatira, it's a stunning thing, brethren, it would create this most amazing purple. Listen, this is fact that could not be duplicated anywhere else on earth. The water, the dye, the shellfish, these things that, these, that, that we're talking about here. It is a most stunning thing. Hence, Luke records for us this woman named Lydia, who is, from, who is a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. What an amazing thing, amen, to see that, that Luke would certainly include her in this, telling us who she is exactly. Now, he also tells us that not only is she named Lydia, not only is she from the city of Thyatira, not only is she a, pur a seller of purple, but she's also a worshiper of God. Now, brethren, that's very important. She is a worshiper of God, but she is not saved. Do you understand what that means? She is a worshiper of God, but she is not saved. In other words, she is one who, what, is probably a proselyte, one who is a God-fearer. You know, there are God-fearing people who are not saved. This is the case with Lydia. Lydia, are you hearing your name a lot this morning? She's over, I told her this morning, I'm preaching about a woman with a name like yours. Lydia was religious, she is a God-fearer, she worshiped God, but she is not saved. And we know this because of what God does next. If she was saved, brethren, this would never have taken place. It would have taken place a lot earlier than where we see it here in our text. Look what God does. Here's a woman who is a worshiper of God, one who is religious, but one who is not saved. Not at this point. In fact, look at verses uh, 14 and 15 there, if you would, again. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. Listen, why did she hear him? Brethren, look, it's always important, again, this is the glorious thing about preaching about the sovereignty of God. I know everybody, like you're looking for it under, under every rock. It's not under every rock. It's on every page. I say it all the time. It's not. Mike's not opening the cover here looking to see the sovereignty of God or looking under this thing or that thing to see if it's there. It's there. If you will see it. And it's right here. Look what God does. The Bible says, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. Listen, you see that word, that? That she would what? That she attended to the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her and her household, she besought us, saying, if ye judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. Now, brethren, what Luke does here in verse number 14 for us is the most amazing thing. He is led by the Spirit of God to relay unto us the ordo salutis. <laughs> well, that's, what, what's that? 
Like, why are you using such terminology? That sounds like something in Bible college. Well, it is to a degree, but it's biblical. It's a biblical term, order salutis. What is that word? What does that word literally mean? It's the order and acts of God that generate, brethren, the holy response of a person in salvation. It's the order and acts of God that generates a holy response from a person, listen, who is dead in their sins, who is uh, a part of the world, one who cannot even lift themselves up by their own bootstraps. This is the order, and it's always the order. It never changes. It never changes, not one time. It is God who is the first great cause. You've heard me use that terminology. And every believing one's conversion, and there are no exceptions. None. See, what men want to do, they want to take credit for something. They want to take credit for what they've done. No, actually, it's what God has done in you. It's what God does first. If God didn't open Lydia's heart, do you believe she would attend to the things of Paul? It isn't going to happen because she was listening and it didn't happen until God moved on her. It's amazing, isn't it? That word, open, means to supernaturally remove that which obstructs. It literally means, brethren, consider this. It literally means uh, the idea here that the Lord caused her to understand. This is a work of God. This is something that only God can do. This is something that we, as, just as Bible believers, understand. And latent flowers, that includes you. That includes me. That includes all of us, brother. None of us are exempt from this. God is the first great cause, period. Period. End of story. End of sentence. End of theology teaching on that this morning. No, it's not. In fact, Luke loved this word. Luke used it on several occasions, and it means exactly the same thing. Look with me, if you would, in his gospel for just a moment. Look at Luke chapter 24, the exact same word. Luke was very consistent in his ordus salutis and his theology and understanding that it is God who moves. Brethren, when you're dead in your sins, when you're dead, you're dead. Okay? This idea, you know, I've talked about it before. This idea, you've all seen the picture, you know, the painting on the wall. And here we have, you know, here we have Jesus standing on the outside. And the knob's gone on his side. And there's a picture of someone standing on the inside, and Jesus is helplessly knocking on the door. No, no, no. That's not well, the picture, how the scripture defines him at all or describes him at all. Do you want a true picture of that? Let me paint one for you because actually he did it here in our text. If you want a true picture of that, actually what it should be, brethren, it should be Jesus on the one side of the door having the doorknob. And the man on the other side of the door should be laying dead. Period. Laying on the floor with no ability to raise himself, no ability to open the door if Jesus knocks. He doesn't have that ability. Unless God opens his heart to do that. Man. I'm sorry I get excited. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke loved this terminology. And he used it over and over again. Look at Luke chapter 24. A very familiar portion of scripture. And I want you to notice here in Luke chapter 24. that verse, Well, we're going to start in verse 24. 
Luke 24, look at verse 24. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What's he doing? He's teaching the word of God here, right? Ought not Christ have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And beginning at, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. <laughs> you see this, brethren? Even Jesus expounded the scriptures. This is what you do. He's expounding the scripture to them. I want you to pay careful attention. Again, brethren, this is amazing. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the, all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and, that day, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Here's Christ walking on the road to Emmaus with these men, talking to them, expounding the scriptures to them. And they are blind as a bat. They have no idea who it is they're even speaking to until the Lord Jesus does this. He's expounding the scriptures, remember that? He's expounding the scriptures to them right now. He's saying, this is what the scripture says about me. We always say this all the time. Brethren, if the spirit of God is not moving in the heart of a lost one, a lost sheep, you can preach all day long and it doesn't matter. It's like me preaching to that bench right there. But when the Spirit of God is moving and he takes that word and he impregnates it, or can I use that terminology, he sends it deep down into them, that's when things begin to move. That's when they begin to understand. You can expound the scriptures all day long, but until Christ does this next thing that he does here, it is completely useless. And I don't mean useless in a sense. We need to preach the gospel but what I'm saying is there's more to it than that. It is supernaturally moved by the Spirit of God into the heart. Look at verse 30. And it came to pass as he sat at me with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Verse 31. And their eyes were what? Opened. That's the same word. It's the same word he uses here in Acts. In other words, what Jesus does is he removes that obstruction. What's the obstruction? It's them. It's their own wickedness, their own evil natures, all of that. He removes that obstruction. Now look what he says. And their eyes were open, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. Look it. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he what? Opened. There's that word again. Opened to us the scriptures. This, brethren, is a supernatural work of God that only God can do. This is what he does to Lydia. He opens her heart so that she can, what, attend to what Paul is saying. Look on just a little bit farther. He opened the eyes. He opened the scriptures. And now look what he does. Look at verse 40. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? I always, I joke about that right there. The King James uses that, that term meat right there, you know, because, and I don't want to pick on the Catholics this morning, but you know, Lent, they can't eat meat, right? You can't have any meat, but you can eat what? Fish. <laughs> look at verse 40, uh, look at verse 42. And they gave him a piece of what? Broiled fish. <laughs> All right. And a honeycomb, and they took it and did eat it before them. 
And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, and that these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, the Old Testament. He's, these are the holy scriptures that, are right, that have been written about me. Look at verse 45. Then what? Then opened. He removed the obstruction for them to see and to understand what he's been telling them and what he's been teaching them. He's right there in plain sight, but they can't see and they cannot understand because he must first miraculously move the obstruction, which is your own evil heart and blindness. And you can't do that in and of yourself. That's not possible. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand what? The scriptures. And he goes on and says, this is what's written of me. Until God does a miraculous work in the heart of a lost sheep, they will not understand it. They cannot. It is not possible. In fact, look at one more here. Look at John, since we're right there. Look at John chapter 6. And again, I know the hyper-Armenians hate it when we go here, but this is a glorious teaching for us. Again, the working of God, the glorious miracle of God in the heart of Lydia and in your heart if you're saved this morning, and in everyone's heart who's ever been saved. Look at John chapter 6 quickly. There's a word I want to draw your attention to here in a moment. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him, what? Believe on him whom he hath sent. So in other words, John's plainly telling us that this is the work of God. What's the work of God? The work of God is what follows. The work of God is all what follows in the verses that follow. What are some of the work of God? Well, that they believe. Well, that all that the Father, what? All that the Father gives will come. They will come. That's a work of God, drawing them and bringing them in. In fact, he takes it to another level. Look at verse 44. Many times people here focus in on the word draw, which is important. It literally, brethren, it is a picture of, if you can grab a hold of this, and some of us have kitties, cats, right over here. I know the Petersons have a few over at their house. And uh, when mama kitties have kit or when mama cats have kitties, you know what they do. You know what I mean? They move them around. How do they move them around, brothers and sisters? You can, you can just say it out loud. They just grab them where? Right, right here by the scruff of the neck. And they just grab that little kitty and they just put it over here where they want it. That's that word draw. That's literally what that word draws. God grabs you by the scruff of the neck, and he just takes you right over here, right where he would direct you to and have you, amen, concerning salvation. But more than that, in this text, there's a word that I want us to see. Not only draw, I want you to see the word accept. Because everybody focuses on the word draw, and we should, but it's the word accept that must first be defined in our text. Look there if you would. No man can come to me except <clears throat> can I say that again no man can come to me except except what except the father draw him again people focus on and it's important because that is a work of God but the word except draws our religious affections very closely in fact he doesn't say it once I want you to see this brother and again see how this just kind of gets real deep theologically real fast because all the glory belongs to God. It is his work. That's the whole point of it. That's what we're talking about. It's his work. Well, he doesn't say it once. Turn there, if you would, again to verse number 65. He reiterates what he says in verse 44 and verse 45. Look what he says there in verse 65. 
And he said, therefore I said unto you, that no man, brethren, can I ask you a question? What does no man mean? Nobody. No man, nobody. You're not exempt and neither am I. Right, that's why I brought Leighton Flowers up, right? Because Leighton now teaches, he's gone off the complete deep end. He teaches now that God isn't even involved in it. You can do it. You just go down to the store down there. You, this is just the choice meat. You go down and choose the choice meat. What a devilish thing to say. Even his, even his friend, brother, on a radio show with him, he's kind of the John MacArthur of the Arminians. When Leighton Flowers said that, even his friend Bob went, oh, Leighton, whoa, slow down. You can't say that. Even he won't go that far, but you know what happens? When you think it's centered on men, this is what happens. Pretty soon it's you. It's what you do, not what God does. It's what you do. Meanwhile, it's all about what God is doing. Scripturally, amen? Look what he says. No man means nobody can come to me. What's that word again? Except. That is such an important word to us this morning, brother. It really, really, really is. That word except is indeed, can I do this theologically? It is a conditional participle. In other words, what? There's a condition. What's the condition? No man can come except there's a condition to man coming. And what is it? The Father drawing them. That's the condition. This isn't just willy-nilly open condition. It is if the Father's drawing them, then they will come. That's the, that's the condition. That's the conditional participle. The condition is this. If God's drawing you, you will come. God opens your heart, you will come. It's an amazing thing. Men want to have credit for what God does. Men, and I'm talking about women, children who are saved, you better let go of that real fast. You better understand your condition and where you were at, just like Lydia. She was religious, she was a worshiper of God, but she was lost. I like what one pastor said, man's heart is naturally locked up and barricaded against God till he, till God, by his mighty spirit, make forcible entrance, beating the devil out of his trenches. That's it, brethren. This is the biblical truth. This is what Lydia experienced when God opened, when he removed the obstructions, which is her own sinfulness, her own religion, all of her stuff that was actually keeping her from God. God removed it all by opening her heart, a miraculous work of God. Lydia then is baptized immediately, which is the pattern of the book of Acts. If you go look in the book of Acts, you'll see that. Lydia is baptized immediately. Amen. She and her household, family, dependents, and servants become the first brethren again, converts in Europe. Because God first intervened, stopped them from preaching over here. Note you're not going over there. I'm sending you to Macedonia. And look at God's glorious work and what, gets, what he accomplished. It is a stunning thing, brethren, for us to consider that now. Let's turn back to the book of Acts. We will now see and be introduced to the other woman, Lydia here, who the Lord opened her heart that she would believe she was baptized, a Bible-believing Christian, first family in Europe. Now we're introduced here to the other woman.
Look here at verses 16 and 17. And it came to pass, as we, there's Luke again introducing himself, and uh, if you will, keeping himself in the fold. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her master as much gain by Sue's saying. And I want you to listen to what this, this demon is saying. This is what's so stunning about this text. It's stunning because the demon's not lying. I mean, do you understand that? This demon's not lying. Generally, they're liars and they're the fathers of lies and all these things. This demon's not lying. It's stunning when you, when you consider that, but then you understand the attack of the enemy. What just took place? A woman has just been saved by God himself. You think Satan's going to let that lie? Not on your life. What does he do? Here comes this nice little, well, can I say that? This little lady, this little woman with a demon. And look what she says. The Bible says, and well, I'm going to read verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought our masters much gain by Sue saying, the same followed Paul and us and cried saying, and that word crying, it's the same one that's used in Job, it's this, or excuse me, in Jonah, it's the same one used. It is a screaming. It is a great yelling, kind of like me. I'm yelling right now. This woman is crying. What is she crying? What is she yelling? Well, look. These men are the servants of the Most High God, are they? Yeah, they are. God is God. God is the King. God is the Lord of Lords. Huh? Which show us the way of what? Salvation. Is Paul and Timothy, are they there? And Silas and Luke, are they there to show people the way of salvation? To show them to preach the gospel? Yes, they are. Stunning, isn't it, that a demon would lie like that? Or tell the truth like that when he's of his father, the devil, who is a liar. It has been from the beginning. It's an amazing thing. He, again, introduces us here to the second woman, describing her as a child of the devil. That's what she is. She has the spirit of divination. You know what that literally means? It literally means the spirit of Pythonian. It is like we get the word python from it. It's kind of like that little serpent that slithered up in the garden. Remember that? Yeah. This is the kind of spirit that Luke is describing this woman has. She is the spirit of divination. She is the spirit of Pythian. She is indeed a child of the devil. And yet, she's uttering truth. Quite amazing, isn't it, brethren? Well, let me say again, this is clearly a clear, if you will, confrontation from the enemy on one's soul. As a woman enslaved by a demon is crying out that Paul and those with him are proclaiming the way of salvation. But brethren, this morning, don't be fooled. Not for one second. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived, brethren, because I'm going to tell you right now, the last thing God will ever do, ever, the last thing he would ever allow a demon to do is to patronize him or to praise him. Not on your life. It's a stunning thing. In fact, Look at verse 18. Look there if you would. Look at verse number 18. It, it's a stunning thing. And this is what God does. Not for a minute is he going to let some demon praise him or he praises on top of his work. Not for a second. Look at verse 18. And this did she many days. But Paul being grieved turned and said unto the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he, notice, came out of her or came out the same hour. 
Now, again, brethren, this is the Lord protecting his work. Not on your life is he going to let a demon drive around and say true things about his work. It's just not ever going to happen, brethren. It will not. In fact, remember this. Look at Acts chapter 19. This is the, you know, the second time now here. Look at Acts chapter 19 as the demon spirits, again, they raise up. When there's, when there's something salvific that happens, when God is saving men, the demon has to be right there. The, de- the devil himself has to be right there trying to mimic or trying to confuse. And that's what that was. Who's the author of confusion, brethren? Well, the evil one himself. So there's, he's trying to bring confusion and confront the enemy. The enemy. Look here, if you would, at verse chapter 19. Look at this. This is really amazing. Look at verse 14. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. <laughs> See, they know who he is. All the demons know who Jesus is. They know who he is. He's the Holy One of God. They all know that. So this demon knows who Jesus is. Who else does he know? He knows who? Paul. Jesus I know. Paul I know. But you, I have no idea who you are. Therefore, what I'm going to do is we're going to jump on top and we're going to beat the daylights out of these people. Amen? And this is what happened. They went away, what? Naked and beaten like dogs. The, the, The whole idea here is, brethren, is this thought process again that God will never allow his holiness, his work, to ever be interceded with or messed with or even condoned by the evil Satan himself. That's what Paul does immediately. You're not going to. You're telling the truth, but you're not going to have any say in what God is doing. I like what one pastor said. He said, Luke declared the possession of the woman, the profit of the woman, because she brought much profit, the proclamation of the woman, And finally, the power that was over the woman. This is what Luke warns us and records here for us this morning. Now, this again is, as we bring things to a close, in verses 19, 20, and 21. Look there at Acts 16, 19, 20, and 21. Look at how the Lord again is preparing to seek and to save one of his lost sheep. This is all a setup if you could use that terminology. This is all the direction of God to get Paul and Silas where? Into the prison. <laughs> where who's there? Brother Dean, I remember when we had a concert here one time and you preached. It was the first time you ever preached, I think, at this church. And I'm not trying to bring you out. I know you don't like that. But I remember what a great sermon it was in between the songs. Oh, it was glorious. It was wonderful. On this Philippian jailer, I remember that like it was yesterday. And you know the amazing thing? We had some women who aren't here anymore, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You say, why is that? Because afterwards, they came up to me and said, that should have never happened. This is a concert. We shouldn't be preaching at a concert. Yes, you should. Your heart's in the wrong place, if that's your attitude, if that's what you think. We should always take every opportunity, especially that, to preach the gospel to someone. And they say us Calvinists, us Reformed people, don't think we should evangelize. Who tells that lie? Actually, it's the Armenians on many occasions. Don't do that during that. That's a, that's a concert. No, actually, you do it during the concert. And it was wonderful. Well, what takes place here in these verses 
leads up to the text that Brother Dean preached on that night. And it sets up, if you will, the Holy Spirit's work in a jail. Look at verse 19. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And I can't wait because there's something that's going to come back here later uh, that takes place later on in the text when they find out that Paul indeed was a Roman. (laughs) That changes everybody's attitude. But this is really a glorious leading up to what takes place later on in the text. You see, brethren, again, do you understand how God is working? Paul wanted to go here, and he was going to go here. God says, you're going there. Why? Because Lydia's there. Her household is there. I have lost sheep there that I'm going to save. And this whole thing just leads right up. And I want to read the text. He has another, God does, has another sheep, a lost sheep in Philippi, who will indeed, listen, brethren, let me say this again, who will indeed hear the master's voice and follow him. Look at there, if you would, at verse number 29. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, who were singing earlier. We're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. Look at verse 30. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be what? Saved. Brethren, I don't want to sidetrack, but we must consider this. This is one of the most Important, eternal questions that you could ever ask. Ever. There's three of them really in Scripture. There's many, but there's three of them particularly. When Jesus asks, who do men say that I am? That is an eternal question that has to do with your soul and where you go when you die. And remember what Peter said? And again, can we, again, not looking, looking for every sovereign thing under, the, under a rock. But what did he say? Peter said, I have come to know and believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him? Oh, Peter, you're so smart. You have so much wisdom. I'm so glad, Peter, that you understood that. Not at all. You know what he said? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but who? My Father who is in heaven. That is the work of God. This is what God does. That's an eternal question like this one is. What must I do to be saved is an eternal question. It has to do with your soul and where you will spend eternity. This is what it's about. It is truly an amazing thing to see God God working. Brethren, to some this morning, God's word will be like a fire, like a hammer that breaketh apart the rock. That's how his word works. To some of you this morning and some who are listening, that's what it will be this morning. To others, it will be a double-edged sword dividing your very soul and spirit. To others who have already had their hearts opened, who are walking with the Lord, it may be a mirror to you this morning as it reflects upon you and your relationship and your current condition with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful tool that God uses. And finally, as we close, 
that will indeed be, maybe not now, but sometime down the road if the Lord is calling his lost sheep through this sermon, through these words, that will indeed, brethren, be honey to you. It will be, as Job said, more than my necessary food. Let's pray. Father, we are stunned at the word of God. We are so thankful for your work. All of us this morning who are saved, who were lost, were in this category at one time. There's none that doeth good, none of us. There's none that seeketh after God, none of us. And there's none of us that will come to you except, except a conditional participle. And I'm not trying to make that sound, but it is a biblical thing, except you draw us. And Father, we again are humbled by all of that, knowing full well the condition we're in when you seek and find us. We're dead in our sins, our eyes are blind, our ears are stopped, our heart is stonier than stone and it will not understand. And you, in all of your gloriousness, for your own purposes and ends, Open the hearts of those who respond. You open their eyes to see, their ears to hear. And as we saw in our text this morning, a biblical principle that never changes. You open our understandings. You remove the obstacles. And the obstacles are us, me. And my dead state and father we thank you this morning that you would be so gracious as the psalmist as David once wrote oh that you would think upon us and father we pray this morning for the lost we pray for them that they too will be drawn by the father because they cannot come except you draw them, that their understanding will be open, that their eyes will be open as a great preacher of old once spoke. When we speak of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, the only way we can do that is to go back to John chapter 3 and we see there that the spirit is there, the son and his sacrifice is there, and finally one then can worship in spirit and in truth. When one is regenerated by the spirit, when his eyes are open to see the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is lifted up as who he is, the perfect sacrifice, the one who took their place. The Spirit endeavors one to see that. And then they believe because you told us this morning in John chapter 6 that that is the work of God, that they believe. So, Father, we again give you all the praise and glory and honor. And 
really, if you take it out to its logical conclusion, it's on every page of Scripture, the sovereign hand of God working. And Father, so we pray for them, and we, we pray this morning for the brethren as well, that as we heard the word together, the words of God together, that we were maybe edified by them, that we were maybe encouraged by them. Maybe we needed to be smashed by them. But for sure, for the true believer, they were indeed honey to us. They were indeed more than our necessary food. Father, we thank you for that. We love you now as we gather around the Lord's table together to see and to participate, to remember that which you have done because of who you are and for your purposes and ends. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. Take of the table together. So we ask, heads of household, that you would come forward to distribute.